Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone, here on the 22nd of October. This is Mornings with Carmen, and of course, you probably heard her say yesterday that Carmen is traveling today, so she's away from the program this morning. This is Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in in the host chair and delighted to be with all of you starting our day, fixing our eyes on Jesus together as followers of the way, looking to grow in our discipleship, uh, be encouraged in our faith, continue to shine light in the world. If you're in the Hartford area this morning, uh, you are going to be close to Carmen, actually. She has a listener event scheduled for tomorrow. That's part of the travel of today. And you can participate in that event by texting the word event to 877-933-2484. Again, that's 877-933-2484. Text the word event to that number. Get a chance to meet Carmen live in the Flesh, I highly encourage you to do that. She is as fun and funny and and wise and witty off the air as you experience here on air here each morning. Again, Peter Kapsner filling in today. Delighted to be with all of you. Our first guest in just a moment is going to be Dr. John Kleinig calling in all the way from Australia with his book, Wonderfully Made. And it's going to help us sort of understand a theology of the body, something that I didn't necessarily grow up with in the Catholic or the Protestant churches in which I found myself As a boy, as an adolescent, as a young man, the body was something that we didn't talk about much in church. And I have to say that as I spend time with young people week in and week out, and I think many of you know, I teach at the University of Northwestern St. Paul in the Christian Ministries program, such classes as Christian social ethics, uh, evangelism and discipleship, and human sexuality. And in those classes, I find that same void of information among the young people where they don't really know how to understand their body. They, they, if anything, don't really respect their body. They don't really know that they are as beautifully and as wonderfully made as they are. So John's going to help us talk through how we can help shepherd our young people in an age that's really difficult for them. And I'm sitting here in studio with Ryan Mitchell as well. And Ryan, I'm sure you've seen some of the headlines in the last couple of weeks coming specifically out of Facebook, in which we saw the data coming from their Instagram that they own as well that uh, young people's body image is suffering mightily with the time that they're spending out on Instagram, which if you're listening this morning and not familiar with Instagram or are not on that platform, you can post pictures of any part of your life, really, and then you subject yourself to dozens, hundreds, thousands of people deciding with their little hearts if they like your image or not. It, it's it, And it, is, it has proven to be psychologically damaging, especially to young women. Yeah, and especially, you know, if you see people you know who are posting on there and doing it, you say, well, I have to too. Right. But you always have to remember... That is the highlights in the best of someone's life. Nobody's going on Instagram and <laughs> posting a bunch of stuff saying, this is how terrible my week's been. Look at this. <laughs> really so I true. think that's always something we have to remember when we're on that platform. Yeah, indeed. It's a, it's a pixelated false image at best. So part of the reordering of how we think about ourselves can come right from the scriptures, of course, in a familiar passage from the book of Psalms, that being Psalm 139. 
I'll start with that, and then we'll bring John into the program after a slight break. It says here in Psalm 137, or 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We'll step away for just a moment, bring John into the program, and talk about a theology of the body from his book, Wonderfully Made. It is just about 10 minutes after the top of the hour. We're joined by Dr. John Kleinig this morning, who is an Old Testament professor, theologian, calling all the way from Australia. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you, Peter? I'm doing well. Can you handle my American accent okay? I, you know, I know it's a little bit unfamiliar, I, right? <laughs> I can hear it well, and I hope your hearers can understand my Aussie lingo. I'll try and speak clearly and plainly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound great. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's late Australian time, but your book that you released here this past August, I think is a really helpful book for those of us that might be unfamiliar with the idea of a theology of the body. Again, the book is titled Wonderfully Made. Uh, John, before we get into some of the nuances of the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin of it? What prompted you to write it? On one hand, it's a book I've always wanted to write. Uh, and uh, uh, it's something I've been thinking about uh, all my life, and particularly all my life as a student and as a pastor and as a theologian. Um, but what uh, catalyzed the actual writing of the book was that I was asked to write it. Um, there were a group there was a group of uh, Lutheran pastors who took part in an ecumenical conference, um, uh, which was hosted by Josh McDowell, on the plague of pornography, which is affecting uh, uh, people not only in our society, but also in the church. Um, most of the presentations were fairly predictable. Um, there wasn't all that much theology, and what was uh, uh, there was basically moral and moralistic, and it wasn't bad, but the one presentation that stood out for them was by a Catholic theologian who basically based his uh, presentation on uh, John Paul's theology of the body. And uh, uh, after the conference they debriefed and they said well look you know they, they were familiar with uh, the john paul's work and said what, what's needed more than anything else is a, uh, a biblical presentation of this topic uh, no matter how good you can say his book is there's big gaps in it and so um, and they wanted to to deal specifically with the issue of pornography um and to see it from a theological point of view rather than a social or moral point of view by itself. Uh, and they wanted to uh, 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 do it in such a way uh, that was helpful to people. 
So they asked me to write it. <clears throat> and I said I'd only take it if I didn't actually write about pornography except in passing because my experience, my conviction is that the only way we have of dealing with that is uh, by dealing with the whole understanding um, of the body uh, from a positive point of view, um, seeing our bodies uh, as God sees them. So I said, yes, I'd, I'd do it, provided that I could do it within the framework of not so much a theology of the body, but a vision of the body, mm. uh, 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 using the scriptures to uh, give people, to, to appeal to the imagination of uh, Christians and to get them to see their bodies the way God sees them. So, uh, uh, and it's in that context that I deal with sexual issues, uh, but they're the only, um, the last two main chapters of the book. Uh, the main focus is on a vision of the body, because as you said, one of the problems that we have is the negative body image that not only women, young women, all women, and uh, increasingly the data is that uh, um, um, boys, young men, are as much uh, obsessed with their, their appearance, their bodies, as girls, and in a negative kind of way. Mm. So that's the, uh, 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 the genesis of the book. Yeah, John, that's really intriguing. And I want to follow up on something you said there, that we tend to deal with issues related to our body from a moral standpoint, meaning the behaviors of our body. And, and if those aren't flowing from a, from a holistic vision of our body, then it might be sort of confusing. And at best, we kind of white knuckle our way through life to try to do good things. But maybe it's helpful to reimagine who we are as, as God's created being. So take us a little bit into this idea and, and speak more to what it means to have a holistic vision of the body according to how God sees us and has created us. Yes. So despite the title, it's not so much a Protestant theology of the body, but a biblical uh, vision um, of the body. And so uh, I uh, um, look at uh, the data from, I, I, first of all, there's the opening chapter in which I try and unpack in a very brief way some of the confusion and the issues that we have with the body and focus uh, 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 on two basic matters. First of all, the strange paradox that we are obsessed with our bodies and yet at the same time we uh, hold our bodies in low regard and in fact in many cases with contempt. Um, we are obsessed with our an ideal body, but nobody has an ideal body. Uh, uh, <laughs> we are actually uh, dissatisfied, intensely dissatisfied with our bodies and the way they appear. Um, and what interests me is that uh, uh, nobody actually sees their bodies. God constructed us in such a way that we don't see our bodies. Other people can see parts of us, but the only person, the only being who can see our whole bodies, not just at one point in time, but from the moment of conception uh, in the womb to our burial in the tomb, uh, the whole body 
uh, in time and space is God. He sees the whole of us. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, so then I unpack that in the three main chapters. Okay, John, I'd love to get into those three main chapters of the book. We're going to step away for just a moment and take a break and reset on that. When we come back in a couple of minutes, take sure. us through the, those three different sections of the book, and we'll talk a little bit as well about what the church can do to engage to help bring some order and wholeness and healing to this very difficult subject. We're talking with John Kleinig this morning, his book, Wonderfully Made. Great book, highly recommended. It's available in all of the channels, the usual suspects like christianbook.com as well as amazon.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day as Carmen LeBurge is on her way to uh, Connecticut. She's going to be holding a listener engagement um, event, and you can text event to 877-933-2484 if you're in the Hartford, Connecticut area, or you feel like driving to the Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut area. Carmen will be there. You can meet her and her husband, Jim live and in person we're chatting oh go ahead ryan one quick correction actually text the word meet oh it's meet that's my bad so so we've been ignoring the word event as it's been coming in this well, morning no, so. event, event will give you a different link <laughs> okay, so if great. you want to get involved with the hartford event this weekend meet not meet to meet awesome so text the word meet to 877-933-2484 we've been having a lively conversation with dr john kleinig from australia the, who has released a book called wonderfully made about a theology of the body and John, you said something interesting to me during the break about just teaching kids about morality and how to behave is perhaps counterproductive. And I want to follow up with that in just a moment. But why don't you give us a quick overview of the three main buckets or the, or the chapters or sections of this book? Yes, after the introduction, I look first of all how um, God sees us uh, uh, created in his image. And uh, uh, the emphasis there is that God uh, uh, created us body, soul, and spirit in his image. It's not just our souls or our spirits that are in his image, but our bodies are in his image. They are made to reflect him. Um, and he, uh, they are made, uh, we are made male and female in his image together. A great mystery. And he, he not only um, uh, created us in his image, but despite our sin, he still loves us and has high regard for our bodies and cares for our bodies. So the first thing is uh, our the exploration of how God sees us as created in his image. The second section is how God sees us as redeemed um, in, uh, by Jesus, his son, and uh, un in, in union with him. So how he sees us now and he, how he sees our bodies as redeemed from uh, death and destruction. The third main chapter deals with how God uh, has destined our bodies, or rather our whole being, and that includes our bodies, for eternal life with him. They are destined for a resurrection to eternal life. And already now, we in our bodies have, uh, in a hidden way, the foretaste of eternal life. On the one hand, there's our bodies are dying every day and are destined for death. But on the other hand, 
God is remaking us through Jesus, his Holy Spirit, um, uh, into the kind of people that he wants us to be and preparing our bodies for eternal life with him. And then after those three chapters, I look at uh, sexuality from two points of view. First of all, um, the sexual body and from a positive point of view, and then uh, the spousal body, um, uh, that we were not just made, um, uh, that male and female for marriage and union in marriage, but also uh, our bodies were made uh, so that we could give ourselves to uh, another person, each other, uh, and other people, but also, and more importantly, give ourselves bodily to uh, uh, Jesus and God the Father. So that's the, and then there's a summing up at the end. But uh, so God sees us as created in his image, and therefore he regards our bodies, the made in his image, uh, as uh, uh, he regards them very, very highly, far more highly than us. He has redeemed us and recreated us in his image, and Jesus is his image. And uh, uh, thirdly, then, he is transforming us, not just spiritually or mentally, uh, but even physically mm. uh, into his image. And the resurrection, if you like, has already begun in a hidden way. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Hmm. John, there's uh, several things you said there that if we had more time, I would love to follow up on, including, yeah. I know a lot of listeners texting questions is what does it be? What does it mean to be made in God's image? And uh, another thing that you just said that's so intriguing is the idea of the foretaste of the future that we receive in the present. I, I'm mindful of that old hymn that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And I think it's, it's such a, a helpful understanding to recognize that to enter into the gospel, to be saved, to walk in salvation is not only this idea of our eternal future, but it begins in this life now. But we only have a couple minutes left, and I do want to follow up on something that you said during the break that I referenced a couple minutes ago, is that my experience in the church over these past uh, 20 years is that well-intentioned and lovely people, ministers and pastors and shepherds and, and parents, we understandably want to teach our children morality. And, and I think that comes from a very positive impulse and is understandable. But you said that if we just stick with only the sort of moral teaching, it might be counterproductive. And I can say the fruit of that moral teaching has been among the students that I teach is they're still very confused and engaging in behaviors that they've been taught not to do, but they don't really know why. So we've got a couple minutes. Take us into that part of this just briefly. Yes, there's, there's a, 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 a whole package of issues there, um, uh, psychologically, but most important, spiritually. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Bible teaches us that God's law shows us uh, the kind of people we should be, not just what we should do, but the kind of people we should be. But the, 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 the first and most basic function of the law, God's law, and morality has to do with law, is to expose what's wrong with us. But the problem is then we are, uh, uh, the, our default position is then, okay, uh, this is what's wrong with us. This is what's right. It's up to me to fix out myself up. And the problem is that 
particularly in the area of sexuality, but right across the moral spectrum, uh, the good that we would, we don't do, and mm. the evil that we don't do, want to do, we end up doing. Uh, what the, what uh, morality does, in fact, is increases sin uh, and uh, uh, is therefore to some extent counterproductive unless it leads to the gospel. And uh, it leads to the gospel and God's gifts and the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, which empowers us uh, to be the kind of people uh, that we should be. Even empower is wrong. Uh, we receive our new self, our new identity, our new bodies even in Christ. Mm. So uh, 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 that is a gift. And it's, uh, uh, it's a whole package. You can't just say, God, please fix, fix up the problem of pornography um, uh, uh, without fixing up the mm. rest of me. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, just, just one last thing. I, one of the things that was very fashionable many years ago was chastity pledges. Right. I've seen some data on that, that in most cases uh, uh, they were totally and utterly counterproductive. Mm. I've seen that they same data. People, uh, 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 made people obsessed with, uh, and they understood chastity purely as virginity, not seeing that that two separate things, virginity and chastity, and in fact uh, 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 led to promiscuity and sexual abuse. Yeah, John, sorry, we have to leave it right there. But boy, I, if uh, I've been saying often that the church has a season of time to reorder itself and its sexuality and a, the a theology of the body to welcome the sexual refugees that are coming and the brokenness that's happening among our young people. And I think your book would go a long way towards that, not just around sexuality and body, but just even the holistic approach of the gospel. So thanks again for the work that you've done. Listening this morning, the book is titled Wonderfully Made. It's Dr. John Kleinig. It's available on Amazon, uh, Christian Books, any of the normal Christian book channels. Can't recommend it enough. John, thanks again for joining us. Look forward to chatting with you again sometime soon. It's a great joy. God bless. Take a short break for some bottom-of-the-hour news, and we'll welcome Chris Martin into the program in the second half of this hour on Mornings with Carmen. Up next on Mornings with Carmen, we're going to be joined by Chris Martin, regular contributor to the program. He is right at the intersection of technology and social ethics and young people, so enjoy talking with him, I'm going to set up our time with a joke that he has in his recent blog that he wrote that is a moth in a podiatrist's office. And the podiatrist says, what seems to be the problem, moth? And the moth says, ah, doc, if there was just only one problem. My father died, I miss him terribly, and worst of all, I'm worried that my uncle killed him. And my mother has taken up with this very same uncle, and I don't know what to do, doc. I don't know how to respond to this. I just feel so lost. At this point, I just don't know if it's better to be or not to be. And the podiatrist is like, ah, oh, man, moth, those are some really serious problems. And I'm sorry you're going through this, but it sounds like you need to see a, psycholog or a psychiatrist. I'm a podiatrist. What brought you to my office today? And the moth says, ah, the light was on. The joke's very old. John mentions that he first heard it from a joke from Norm MacDonald. And Chris and I are going to talk about what it means to fly towards different lights to find some wholeness and shalom in our souls. But maybe we need to find the true light in the midst of that, especially for the generations to come.
Have you ever expected a police officer to stop you on the freeway and say, hey, great job driving? No, you constantly look over your shoulder to see if they're going to give you a ticket. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. As parents, sometimes we come off like highway patrol officers. We pull alongside our kids, wave them to the side to find them, issue warrants, and take them into custody. Our intentions are to instruct and guide our teens, but to them it can feel like we're right on their tails with red lights flashing. When communicating with our teens, it's important we instruct and nurture them as parents, not just officers of the law. You don't want to be the cop in the family. You want to be the parent. Mom, Dad, are your tried and true parenting methods not as effective as they used to be? Parenting expert Mark Gregston is here to help. For a list of Mark's upcoming events and seminars, visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Again, Carmen is out today. She is on her way to Hartford, Connecticut area. I know we have a really wide listening audience there, and she's going to be holding a listener engagement event. You can text the word MEET into the studio this morning at 877-933-2484 if you want to have an opportunity to meet Carmen live and in person. Highly recommended. She is great off the air, filled with the wit and the wisdom you experience from her every day on the air as well. We're joined at this time by Chris Martin, regular contributor to the program. And Chris, I see here in my tracking sheet that you are the author of Terms of Service Newsletter. It seems like when you and I get a chance to chat every three or four months like this, that you're doing something new in the world of social media. So tell me about this. Yeah, sure. So I've been writing the Terms of Service Newsletter for, gosh, about a year and a half now. Um, and really, it started shortly before the pandemic. Um, a couple of years ago, when I actually first, well, gosh, five or six years ago, when I started contributing to this morning show, I was writing about how to reach young people uh, in the church from the perspective of a young person, because I was 24, 25 at the time, and I was writing about how to reach millennials in the church. Uh, these days, um, I, d- I did that for a while, and just kind of, I feel like that kind of ran its course for me anyway, and took a couple years off of writing. And and then uh, in end of 2019, beginning of 2020, uh, honestly, kind of just a couple months before the pandemic, I was like, I think I think I want to try, you know, I, I was really moved and, and changed by the work of Neil Postman and his work, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And I said, I think it'd be kind of cool if there was a voice in the Christian space who brought the sort of media analysis of Neil Postman that was that he was giving in the late 20th century around the time when TV was taking over the world. It'd be cool if there was a sort of like Neil Postman like voice from a Christian perspective about the sort of media explosion and transformation we're seeing in the 21st century. So Mm. um, I said, I I like social, I I like studying social media. I like studying technology and how it changes us. So uh, let me, let me try to kind of pretend like I'm Neil Postman as a, as a Christian in the 21st century. And that's what terms of service is. It's um, it's a twice weekly newsletter where I just write about how, uh, how social media might be changing us in ways we don't realize. And then the terms of service book comes out in February actually. So. Oh, that's fabulous, Chris. And I know a little bit later here in our segment, we're going to talk a, a bit about the impact of social media on teenage girls and how parents and grandparents, we can help shepherd them through that very difficult season. But let's start with this moth joke that you wrote about in the blog where you talked about moths going to a light and that we like moths go to different kinds of light to sort of fill us to bring peace or wholeness. And and those lights over time clearly are not the, the, the office lights where we should go and try to get our problems fixed. We're going to the wrong light so often, aren't we? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I watch um, this YouTube channel called Vlog Brothers. Uh, it's Hank Green and John Green, who are two of the more, um, honestly, if you're listening to this and you have teenagers that you're um, you're either a parent of, a grandparent of, or, or maybe you're a teacher and you're listening, Hank Green and John Green are, are well known among current 20s college students, high schoolers. John Green is a really well-known novelist. He wrote the book that he's most famously known for is The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, and, and Hank Green, his brother, um, is known in a, for a lot of different reasons, but they have a, they have a YouTube channel called vlog brothers. They've been running it since 2007, where each week they send each other kind of video letters, if you will, of about four minutes in length. Um, and they're just sort of essays that they record via video and they write them back and forth to each other, kind of like you're watching them send, send letters. Um, and I, I love them because they're so well written, and obviously John Green, being a world class novelist, he he just writes so well. And and a couple of weeks ago, he gave actually back in September, he shared a joke. He said, "I want to share two of my favorite jokes ever." And here's the joke: You've certainly heard it before. Um, a moth walks into a podiatrist's office, and the podiatrist says, "What seems to be the problem, moth?" And the moth says, ah, Doc, if it was just one problem, my father died and I miss him terribly. And worst of all, I'm worried that my uncle is the one who killed him. And my mother has taken up with this very same uncle. And I don't know what to do, Doc. I don't know how to respond to this. I just feel so lost. At this point, I just don't even know whether it's better to be or not to be. And the podiatrist responds. He says, ah, man, moth, those are really serious problems. And I'm sorry you're going through this. But it sounds like you need to see a psychiatrist. I'm a podiatrist. What brought you to my office today? And the moth says, oh, well, the light was on. Um, and and it's uh, when I first heard the joke, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> and then he, uh, John Green said he first heard it from Norm MacDonald. Then it was just a week or two later that Norm MacDonald died. And that joke that he told actually went uh, kind of viral on social media. So I, I think this joke is telling. And John Green actually says it's a funny joke. But he said he also thinks it's telling. He says, I feel all the time like a human being endowed with a soul at least making some free willish decisions all day long. But in fact, most of the time, I feel like I'm a moth flying toward whatever light I happen to see. I fly toward the light of money or status or power or whatever. And then one day, unhappy and confused, I look up and I'm like, why am I in a podiatrist's office? <laughs> and it's only an understanding that my default setting is to fly toward those lights that I can hopefully occasionally make slightly more conscious decisions. And I love the default setting language. Um, I use that so much when I lead, uh, when I teach in the student ministry that I help lead because it's really understandable, right? I mean, we all have default settings on our phones or on our computers or things that were just kind of set to go in a particular path. I, I often talk about like coordinates on your GPS or something like that. Like you just, you have this set way that you're, you're bent toward going. And obviously as Christians, we see that as original sin. And, and we were drawn like moths toward various lights. Like we just can't resist it. Um, and before we know it, we're, we're kind of, we kind of come to, if you will, we kind of like snap to it and we're like, wait, I'm, why am I where I am? Whether that's like, you know, for, for a lot of young people, it's mindlessly scrolling Instagram while watching Netflix in the background <laughs> on a Friday night. Um, and, and it's like you kind of look up and maybe your spouse asks or, or Netflix asks, as it famously does, are you still watching? And you're like, I just turned on, you know, I just worked all day at one screen, you know, all week at one screen so that I could spend my night staring at a smaller screen with a bigger screen in the background. And we just kind of ask ourselves, we should, I don't know if we do this enough, frankly, we get to a point where we ask ourselves, why am I here? Like, how did I get to this point? Um, and, and I think... 
we um, we should just be aware of these things more. And, and I think we should recognize that like a moth is drawn to a bright light, we find ourselves drawn to a lot of lights that maybe we shouldn't be drawn to from time to time. Yeah, I think that's really well said, Chris. I'm mindful of that extremely famous passage of Scripture, John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So whoever believes or leans into or or gives themselves to Jesus as a follower of the way will not perish. And, and I know for me, I would have understood that word perish so often growing up as simply meaning something that would happen after I die. But in the original language, it, it means something akin to walking on pathways that are futile and failing with no end and no hope and no future. Uh, and and so there are so many pathways in this world in which we can choose to walk, and they will all fail at the end of the day. There is only one eternal kingdom. And, and I think we can we can drivel ourselves through money and power and small screens and large screens and, and, and wake up some days many years later and think, wow, what did, I, what did I do with my life? And I think to, to shepherd young people, but for all of us, right? For all of us to not be walking on these pathways that are futile and failing because they just don't have the light that they promise. Yeah, yeah. I think like the moth needed a psychiatrist for its problems. You know, it just found itself at the podiatrist's office because that's where the light was. I think a lot of times we find ourselves where the lights are, perhaps literally with our screens, and we hope that spending time around our lights, flying around our lights, if you will, will actually solve our problems because that's just where we're drawn to. And we're just like, well, I'm naturally drawn here. Hopefully this will just solve my problems. But like to spiritualize the joke, like the moth needed a psychiatrist for his problems, we need the great psychiatrist for ours. We, like the moth, are just drawn to various lights, literally or symbolically. Um, and we're just drawn to these lights and then we hope that we just spill our problems all over these lights. We, we feel as though we're not good enough. And so then we scroll on Instagram because that's just what we naturally do when we don't know what else to do. When we're afraid to face the real world, we just scroll on Instagram or Facebook, whatever your drug of choice. We just scroll there and, and, and implicitly we're kind of hoping that that will make us not feel inadequate anymore or make those feelings at least go away if not resolve them. When in fact, hanging around those lights, floating around those lights can actually deepen those feelings. Uh, and, and then we ask ourselves, why do I feel so bad? Why do mm. I feel this didn't this didn't work? And that's because we're drawn to lights rather than looking for the psychiatrist that could actually help our problems. Yeah, Chris, let's talk about that a little bit more after a short break here. When we get into teenage girls and what they're experiencing in places like Instagram and TikTok, and we, we see the data, but uh, working with young people, when you when you match the anecdotes with the data, you see that there really is a crisis among young women in particular, but young men as well in terms of how do they, they understand themselves. This is Chris Martin, Peter Kapsner on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. It is about 10 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 22nd of October. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we're chatting with Chris Martin, regular contributor to the program. Chris, we had a listener, Emily, write in. Uh, she was uh, reflecting on what you said about the Neil Postman book. She said, love hearing what inspired Chris to start Terms of Service. I think Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death should be required reading for everyone, especially those in the millennial generation and younger. I, I would re agree with Emily's statement about that. I think if we can shepherd our kids at early ages about how to understand themselves in the world, we, we can mitigate much of the impact of what happens in their teenage years and beyond. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death was written in 1985, which, gosh, I guess that's 
really, really like almost 40 years now. Um, and, uh, and it's never been more relevant in my opinion, despite being, despite having a lot of, uh, a lot of writing about the television and the telegraph and how the television and the telegraph changed the world. Uh, you read that book. And if, if you're a discerning reader, like if you're reading just beyond the surface, you realize how much of what Postman wrote in 1985 is as relevant today as ever. Hmm, yeah, well, let's change the subject to teenage girls and TikTok, but specifically the first part of that, which has to do with ticks and some pretty disturbing physiological symptoms are showing up for young girls who are specifically on TikTok, the, the short video site where the, you can post yourself dancing or cooking or a number of different kinds of things. But we're, we're seeing not just the social impact, the relational, the psychological, the spiritual impact, there actually appears to be a physical impact happening from engaging with this platform. Yeah. Um, TikTok is by far the biggest social media platform in terms of like being hot right now. Obviously, mm -hmm. Facebook has the most users. Uh, TikTok is the most popular, the most engaged. Like if obviously you can buy stock in social media companies, but if you can like buy stock, if you will, and metaphorically speaking in like ones that are on the rise, TikTok would be the one to buy. Like it's, it's really exploding only has, it was, was really supercharged by the pandemic and people being stuck inside or, or not doing, at least doing things that they typically do. Um, and I have kind of noticed this sort of thing. And the wall street journal had an article in the last week called tick, uh, teen girls are developing ticks. Doctors say TikTok could be a factor. Um, and here's what's interesting about TikTok is they have an a recommendation algorithm, which virtually every social media platform has a recommendation algorithm of some kind. The Facebook algorithm, as I've talked about a lot on the show, uh, delivers you content to your feed, right? You're not seeing on Facebook, you're not seeing just the most recent content that's posted. You're seeing curated content interspersed with ads based on what Facebook thinks you would be most interested in. When you go to youtube.com, at the top of youtube.com, you'll see like recommended videos that YouTube thinks you'll be interested in based on what you've watched otherwise. Uh, it doesn't just show you random videos. And so every social media platform has a recommendation algorithm because the math has shown that that's how they keep you on the platform for the longest, which is their ultimate goal in life uh, because their business is trying to make money and they make money when you spend more time on their platform. And so TikTok though has an incredibly strong recommendation algorithm every like people who study this stuff for a living people who have phds in this and are smarter than me say that tiktok's recommendation algorithm is stronger than anyone else's like it takes the least amount of time for tiktok compared to other platforms to decide what kind of content you're looking for and kind of who you are if you will to kind of study you and deliver you content that is specifically interesting to you so like let's say you're really you know, a really avid fisherman and you're really into watching videos of other people fishing, TikTok would figure out probably in an hour or less of you watching TikTok that those are the kinds of videos you want to watch the most and they would start delivering them to you. Um, so anyway, TikTok is very good at that. So what, what has happened is, is you have a lot of teenagers, specifically teenage girls, and those teenage girls are being called out more than others in this particular article because A, teenage girls use TikTok more than any other demographic and B, this development of ticks has uh, like Tourette syndrome symptoms, not exactly Tourette syndrome, but sort of Tourette syndrome symptoms has been uh, most prevalent among teen girls across the globe. A, a, a bunch of recent medical journals have been written to say that doctors uh, have been seeing more teen girls showing up to hospitals with uh, symptoms of Tourette syndrome. Uh, and they've also been watching TikTok. 
a, neuro, a neurologist at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center says that uh, he's seen about 10 new teens with ticks every month since March of 2020. And before that, he had seen one a month. So that guy alone at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital has seen a 10x increase in uh, the development of physical ticks in the, since uh, the pandemic started, which not surprisingly is since uh, TikTok has really exploded. And I think this is, this is important because um, here, here's a line from the Wall Street Journal article that, that I think is telling. It says that doctors say most of the teens who are showing up with ticks have been previously diagnosed with anxiety or depression that was brought on or exacerbated by the pandemic. Now, some would say, well, then that that um, depression or anxiety exacerbated by the pandemic is what caused the ticks. And I would say, understanding TikTok as I do, that those teens' anxiety and depression is what led them to get onto a vein of TikTok that delivered them content around the topics of anxiety and depression. And that led them to develop the ticks because TikTok learned them so well. So it's really interesting how how who a person is and, and what, what they're like can lead them to engage with certain content and maybe worsen who they like worsen the symptoms that they're feeling. Oh, Chris, that is um I mean, terrifying might be too strong of a word, but it may not be <laughs> too strong of a word in terms of the impact and what's happening. And, and I think rather than just running along with the herd so that our kids can be relevant on their phones or, or, or perceived relevance on their phones, we really need to think critically about how we're utilizing these tools and maybe not at all. So thanks for the work that you do at the intersection of young people, culture, Bible, theology, everything that you do. Listeners want to catch where you're writing. Uh, where, where can they go to see your work again? Yeah, they can follow me at Twitter, Chris Martin 17 and the newsletter is uh, termsofservice.social. Mm, love it. Thanks so much. It's great to catch up with you as always, Chris. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. We'll take a short break and wrap up the first hour of the show and preview what's coming up next in Hour 2 on Mornings with Carmen. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Lois just texted in here saying, I think sometimes people like you guys on the radio need to say Instagram is not something you have to have. Lois, let me say just that. Instagram is not something that you have to have. We don't allow our teens on any of the social media sites. And uh, it, it's if, if social media is as damaging as it appears to be, uh, a little bit is not better than a lot of it. It's maybe just time to get off of it altogether and to shepherd our kids in a different kind of way. We don't say a little bit of cocaine is okay or a little bit of porn is okay. So maybe we just need to go ahead and say a little bit of social media, not at these stages of development. Well, that wraps up the first hour of the show. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Adam Holtz, as we do on Fridays, to talk about so many of the different movies and music that is making its way into our culture. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.